you got your Bibles, head over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2. Uh, we're looking at kind of the behind the scenes of the nativity scene, that very familiar scene that we have. As you're getting to Matthew 2, I want to share a family tradition that our family has. I'm sure you have them. Christmas time, it just rolls into life, doesn't it? It's, well, we do this cookies, and we make this, we go to this person's house, we do the gifts. There's a lot of traditions. So this last week, my family and I, we did a gingerbread house. It was an absolute wreck, but a ton of fun. Uh, had a good time with that one. Uh, we just have a bunch of those, right? Probably the, the biggest tradition that we have that is ongoing meaning we started this even before, before December, and we will do this multiple times, probably all the way into January, is we go around and we go Christmas light hunting. Kids love it, we love it, because we get to get them in PJs, we give them hot chocolate, we put them in the van, and two out of our three kids usually fall asleep within 30 minutes. It's a brilliant plan. We should have Christmas lights all year round, just for that reason right there. But it's a lot of fun. Kids love it. We, we drive around. We look at different neighborhoods, different, different lights. We even have like a sheet that tells us where to go. And we kind of check them off as we go through. So because our kids love Christmas lights so much, I cannot, as, as their dad, I cannot get out of having Christmas lights on our house. And uh, you can imagine just the, the hope that my kids have and the disappointment they would feel if their father did not live up to this high expectation of having Christmas lights. So I said, fine, we'll put some Christmas lights up. So I just have like one strand that goes around, along the front of our house, right? And then just a few bushes and trees, and, and we call it good for now. Now my son's old enough where he realizes that's not good enough. And I'm like, what happened to the, oh, everything's great, Dad. You're the best dad in the whole wide world. To, that's not good enough, Dad. Why aren't the lights blinking? Dad, why aren't they like this? Dad, why didn't you go all the way to the top of the house? You know what I'm talking about? So that's me. That's, that's the world that I've been living in for the last probably month. But what, what you don't see, as, and what my kids don't understand, and what even some of us fail to realize, is what it took to get to that. And when I say that, I mean that beautiful, just ooh and ah house that has the lights up and the wreaths up and the candles in the window. I mean, it just, it looks so good, and it's great. Like, I love being the driver buyer. You know, where I don't want to be the one to have that house. I don't want to be the one that has to put everything on that house. But I most certainly am going to park out in your, in your front driveway for about 30 minutes and look at it and love it. And I'm going to hope you do it next year. And if you don't do it next year, I'm going to be really sad and disappointed that you didn't meet up to my expectations. So my kids and I, as we go around, we ooh, we ah, we love all these lights. But, but they don't know, and most of us don't realize all that went into actually getting that done. We don't know the behind the scenes. We don't know the, the mess that it started out in. So this is a, uh, a tub from my house, uh, in fact, my garage, and it has Christmas lights in it. And you might be wondering, Brian, why, why aren't these Christmas lights on your house? And, and let me explain why these Christmas lights are not on my house. The Christmas lights that are on my house are in good shape, and like I said, I only have like a strand or two. The other reason is because this is what the rest of them look like. Yeah, can I get an amen men in the room? So, and some of you are like, well, Brian, you're doing it wrong. You use them and you just throw them away. You buy new lights every single year. And I'm like, I'm too cheap for that. I'm like, no, 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 we're not buying lights. We're going to use these. And if, and if it's going to take this much time to untangle them and get them all working, we're just not going to put them up. So that is why they continue to stay in the box, right? But that's how it begins. We want this, ooh, ah, oh, just wow of a house and these wonderful lights. But we don't always know and want to know the mess that it took to get there. That how, how terrible it was, the, the bloodshed, the tears, the heartache that went into getting those lights on that house. We don't want to know that. We don't want to mess with that. We just want that picture-perfect snapshot of, oh, man, everything looks great. But behind the scenes, it's a mess. It is 
quite honestly, a tangled mess. And our Christmases sometimes feel like this, about this time of year, right? We're, we're almost to the middle of December, and it feels like everything is just a mess. And we're, we're just, we don't even want Christmas to get here. We just want like January 3rd to get here. Maybe January 8th and 9th, because that's when kids really go back to school. So it's just, get me through this mess. I almost want to just bypass the rest. And the nativity scene is very similar to that. Whereas we talked about last week, the nativity, this is the one from our house. It's a typical one that has baby Jesus, has Mary and Joseph. We talked about the shepherds in the fields nearby last week. So you've got the shepherds as part of this nativity scene. And then you have the, what, the three wise men. That's right, they're part of this nativity scene as well. And we're familiar with this scene, whether you have one in your house, your front yard, you've seen it, you know it. It is this picture-perfect snapshot of that moment. And it's an ooh, it's an ah, it's a perfect moment captured in truly a split second, but we don't see the behind the scenes. We don't see what it took to get to that moment, the mess and the tangled and the disasters and the distractions and the tragedy. We don't see all of that stuff. We just see this picture-perfect scene of baby Jesus, his mom and dad, the wise men, and the shepherds, and we just think, man, why can't our Christmas just be like that? Why can't everybody just be in the right place and everything work out and come together? But again, as we're looking at it, if you see behind the scenes, if you look at the before that moment and even after that moment, and it was not all together. In fact, it was unbelievably messy and i'll even here's a little good fact for you we'll see this when we read through matthew 2 that this isn't even accurate if you know the story or if you haven't you'll see this we don't know that there were three there could have been one there could have been a hundred we don't know how many wise men there really were the bible never tells us how many and this scene isn't accurate also because the wise men didn't come in this same moment the shepherds showed up when baby jesus was born the shepherds showed up in that moment as we're going to see the wise men actually showed up much later could be days, weeks, months, even years, something, that the wise men truly showed up and saw Jesus. So we look at this, we look at those ooh and ah moments, right? The expectations that's in our head, and we want everything to live up to that. But man, it's not, because it's messy getting there, it's messy afterwards, and sometimes it's just not accurate. So whatever those expectations are, I'm hoping today we'll be able to have some realistic expectations, and more so, what do we do to navigate through the mess that most certainly is our life and certainly the mess during this season. So Matthew chapter 2, here is the backstory of the wise men. Before they ever met Jesus, here's what begins to happen. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born, so technically after all of this happened, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, another word for wise men, from the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to, what did they come to do? Two words, they came to, that's right, they came to worship him. Nothing else, they came to do that. They had one, one task, one thing on their to-do list. We came to worship him. Verse three, when King Herod heard this, he was, and this is an important word, I want you to write it down, hang on to it, do something so you don't forget, you're gonna keep saying this over and over with me. When King Herod heard this, he was, and say it with me, disturbed. He was upset, he was disturbed, but not just him, look at this. And all Jerusalem with him. So these wise men show up. They've been traveling a long, long, long distance. Again, most think that they've been traveling for months and months. They finally get to Jerusalem because they saw Jesus' star. And they get there and like, okay, where is this king of the Jews? We don't know. The star led us here. So now we're looking for Jesus. We have been searching for Jesus for a long time. We're here. Where is he? 
They show up and they just start asking that question. Have you seen Jesus? Have you seen this king of the Jews? Now keep in mind, they don't really know anything about Jesus. They just know there's a king of the Jews that's here. They've been waiting for him. They knew that they were looking for some signs, but they really didn't have this full picture. It wasn't like the shepherds or the angels told the shepherds, here's exactly how to find Jesus. He's going to be in this spot wearing this with these people. Now go and find him. For the wise men, it was more of this, we know he's here, but we really don't exactly know who he is and what we're looking for. So they're asking, do you know where this king of the Jews is? Do you know where this new king is? We're here to worship the king. Do you know where he's at? And they're spreading out through all of Jerusalem asking that question. Now, you could imagine that King Herod hears about this and he's not too pleased. In fact, what is he? What's that word? He's disturbed. Which we could understand. You've got these foreign dignitaries, these foreign wise men showing up, not asking for King Herod. They're asking for the real king. Yeah, that set well, really well with King Herod. What do you mean? I'm the king. Well, you're not looking for me? No, 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 no. You're just like that king. We want the king. And Herod is not okay with that whatsoever. But it's not just Herod that's upset. All of Jerusalem, they've created quite this mess. They show up looking for the real king, not King Herod, the king, the king of the Jews. So Herod's upset, all of Jerusalem, they have created quite an uproar in this entire city. And everybody's trying to figure out why they're there and who's this real king and why are they showing up now. And so he asks them, he gets them together. But first he gets them together, he gets all of his counselors together and leaders. It says this, when he called together, this is Herod, when Herod called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Well, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for that is what the prophet has written. Here's what the prophet said, but you, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by are no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler, talking about the Messiah, who will shepherd my people Israel. So then Herod called the Magi, the wise men, secretly and, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. Now look what he does next. He sent them to Bethlehem and gave them this command. He said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. So Herod's all upset, or what's the word again? He was disturbed with all of Jerusalem, with him, this entire city in an uproar because of these wise men coming in asking questions about this king of the Jews, this Messiah that they have been searching for, waiting for, and now traveling a long ways to get to. So Herod calls in his counselors, his advisors, says, what is going on? Is this for real? Who is this? And all of his counselors are aware of the same prophecies that the wise men were. He said, yeah, he's to be born in Bethlehem. They knew that. So then Herod calls in the wise men and says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Carefully search for him. Keep searching. Now keep in mind, these wise men have been traveling for months and months and months. He says, keep searching for them. In other words, do my job for me. Keep searching, and when you find them, tell me. I find this interesting because if you looked at a map, a biblical map of Jerusalem and Bethlehem, it was only a distance of about five and a half miles away. Five and a half miles apart. That all of Jerusalem, including King Herod, no one was willing to travel with the wise men about five miles to find and look for Jesus. Whereas the wise men have already traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles. They said, of course we're going to keep searching. We didn't make it this far to stop. We're we're going to travel the five miles. But those that were five and a half miles away said, it's not worth our time. You go and see if you can find them, and when you find them, then you let us know. But Herod and all of those that were upset and all of those that were disturbed by the, the questions that the wise men were asking, 
they were not willing to travel about five and a half miles to just look for Jesus. Now, some of you, before we go anywhere else, you just need to hear me say this to you. Keep searching. Keep looking. Keep seeking. Because I could only imagine the the difficulty of the journey the wise men had gone through. The distance, the weather, the hardships, the problems, what they left to come here to Jerusalem. And to get that far, it would be easy to say, I got to keep looking. You're going to send me to another town? Forget it. I've come too far. We're done. If it hasn't happened by now, it's not going to happen at any other point. I, I, could, I, could, I could understand their rationale for saying, forget it. Let's just go back. We tried. We did our best. We, we just can't, we can't keep doing this. What I can't comprehend is Herod and the rest of Jerusalem not being willing to go five and a half more miles. Just keep looking. And some of you, you feel like that spot. I've been looking for Jesus. I've been looking. I've been searching. I'm here every week. And I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. I'm not getting it. Let me just tell you, just don't stop. You might be five and a half miles away. It might be a mile away. It might be 10 miles away. It might, it might be another 100 miles away. But at what point does it really matter? I think the wise men were wise in the sense that they relentlessly pursued Jesus. No matter what. No matter what, they would not stop until they found Jesus. And what did they want to do? It said that they wanted to find him so that they could, the two words, worship him. And Herod was five and a half miles away and said, not worth my time. So wherever you're at in your journey, however far you have come, however far you still feel like you need to go, can I just encourage you, and you just might need to hold on to that right there. Don't stop. Keep going. Keep searching until you find him, which is exactly what the wise men did. After this meeting with Herod, Herod sends them instead of sending himself or anybody else. He says, you go and find them, which, of course, the wise men were, would have done anyway. And that's what we read next in verse 9. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, keep in mind house, not this manger scene we typically see in the nativity. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And look, they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, many of us know these, of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So they kept searching. They did not stop. They were so close, but... Uh, be met with some great opposition. Again, remember, King Herod and all of Jerusalem were all disturbed. They were, in a, they were in an uproar over what was happening, what these wise men were looking for, and the way that they were talking, the questions they were asking. Didn't phase them in the slightest. They said, we are here to find Jesus and to worship him. So they kept searching, and sure enough, they found Jesus, and they did exactly what they came to do. They bowed down, and they worshiped him. And here's what they did next. Because remember, what did he, King Herod ask them to do? Go and find Jesus. When you find him, report back to me, right? But look at what happens next. And this is the end of their story, verse 12. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Story of the wise men. The before, the moment, and then the after of the wise men. The mess on both sides of meeting Jesus. The mess on the beginning side of them showing up to Jerusalem and everybody, including the king, being disturbed by what they were doing. But then they kept pushing through. They found Jesus. And instead of reporting back to the king, they went a different way. Because remember, remember what, the, what King Herod had asked them? 
more so, when the king asks you something, it's not really a question, is it? It's, it's more of a you will. So he commanded, he demanded of them. He said, go and find the king. Then as soon as you find him, report to me so I may too go worship him. That's the king telling these wise men what to do. Now, if you are told to do something by a king, you probably should do what the king tells you. And they were planning on doing that, but then they were told something else from a different authority, something very, very different. I mean, put yourself in the wise men's shoes. You've got the king of the area, the king of Jerusalem, telling them, once you find Jesus, tell me so I can go find him. Then you have a dream where another authority, God, says, don't go to King Herod, go home a different way. So you have two authorities telling you two very different things. Which one do you listen to? Oh, man, we deal with that every day, don't we? I've got this authority telling me this, but then I have God that points me in this direction. And, and they're telling me this, but then God points me in that. And, man, we get stuck there a lot. The wise men were right in the thick of it. The king says, find him and come and tell me. And God says, don't go to Herod, just go home a different way. And I love that That's really sums up the story of the wise men. Whatever it takes to get to Jesus, but check this out. Once they got to Jesus, they continue to follow God. They showed up following a star, but they left following God. And the rest of their days would have had to have been forever changed. And I don't know what has brought you to where you're at. And I don't mean like physically here this morning at church, maybe. But in this part of your journey, I don't know what has brought you to this point. Can I encourage you to, to keep going, right? Like Herod stopped five and a half miles short. The wise men kept going. But don't stop following God after that moment. And once you... Once you finally have that moment that we're hoping for, of, oh, I finally met Jesus and he changed my life, keep following him. Keep leaning into him. What tends to happen is we find Jesus and, oh, we start to find our way back to our own ways at some point. We all go through that, right? That's our story. That's our journey. So whatever has brought you here, yes, be thankful for it. Just like the star brought the wise men to Jesus, they left following God. They didn't follow a star back home. They didn't listen to the instructions of Herod to get back home. God spoke to them in a dream and said, don't go back to Herod, go back home another way. And they obeyed God, not the king. Not that king, but the king. And in our lives, that's what we need to, to figure out, especially in this season, right? We all want that. We want this perfect moment, this picture-perfect snapshot of Christmas and family and friends and, and our faith with Jesus as the center of it. But the reality is there's a lot of mess on both ends of that. How do we still... Stay focused on Jesus. Two things that I think we find out and can begin to apply in our lives from, from the wise men. The first part of this deals with distraction. In other words, we have to be aware of the distraction and, in fact, have to be able to see the distractions in front of us. But not just the distraction, but the devastation that can come from being distracted. We have to see the dangers of distractions. For the wise men, there was a lot of opportunity to be distracted. Again, they show up, they ride into town, they show up, they start asking these questions. Where's Jesus? Where's this king of the Jews? What was the word? The king, King Herod, and all of Jerusalem were what? They were all disturbed. They created this big mess, and, and it would have been easy for the wise men to, well, we've got to like smooth things over here. We'll get to Jesus in a second. We did not mean to create a political crisis upon arriving. Surely we need to, to do something. We need to speak into this. We need to... to help change this and fix this because we caused it unintentionally, right? There, there's a lot of room for distraction. In fact, it gets a whole lot worse. After they leave, look at the mess that even, it, got, it escalated and even elevated exponentially. Verse 16 out of Matthew chapter two, this is after the wise men went back home. This is when Herod realized what happened. 
It says when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. Now look, we went from disturbed to now furious. So he is all in a rage. It says by, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Are you talking about a mess? These wise men, they showed up because all they wanted to do was, remember, worship him. They showed up because they just wanted to worship Jesus. And they show up and they create this political crisis with all of Jerusalem, including the king. They end up disobeying the king because God told them to go another way. And because they obeyed God, now they could. I mean, I would feel this burden. Are we responsible for the killing of every two and under boy in Jerusalem and its vicinity? Oh, you talk about a lot to be distracted by. This is one of those where I didn't, I didn't mean to cause a problem, <laughs> but you made it worse. I was just trying to help. Every time I fold laundry, it's the, I was just trying to help in my office. Like, you're making it worse. Don't touch it, right? You talk about feeling that. There's a lot of room to be distracted. Now, in our distractions, we all have the illusion that we're not distracted. Oh, don't tell me I'm distracted. You're distracted. Everybody else can, can't multitask, but man, I, I, am, I am the king of multitasking. Right, guys, we think we can multitask extremely well. If you're sitting next to a spouse, they're right now thinking, no, everybody knows you can't multitask. <laughs> everybody knows it except you, right? You see everybody else. No, they, they get distracted. They can't multitask, but me, I, I, can, I can multitask with the best of them. But we are, we are fooling ourselves because in reality, none of us, none of us are great at multitasking. When we get distracted, thus the definition of the word, we get sidetracked. In fact, I kid you not, this has become distracting, being distracted has become such a problem in our culture with phones and texting and all this. There is a campaign currently happening that's put on by the National Safety Council. I'm not making this up. The National Safety Council has seen that walking distracted has become an epidemic in our world. Not joking. They've done the research and they have found, I don't, I'd love to know how they found this out. I think just hitting cameras all throughout towns and cities. But they have found that one in 10 people have injured themselves by walking distracted. Because you walk like this, right? You walk like this, you run into stuff. So one out of every 10, we would never admit that. No, 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 I, I've never, I've never accidentally stepped in front of traffic because I was texting. I've never tripped over something. We wouldn't, not me, never. I've seen everybody else do it, but never me. So we think we can multitask. So this National Safety Council has put a big campaign into helping people become aware of their surroundings and to be aware of the dangers of walking while distracted. So they did some more research and they had a bunch of people in the room and, and they said, we were going to have you get from this point to that point to that point. And they kind of had a map for them and they wanted them to walk along the lines distracted with their phones. Over 60% veered off course. Even those that, no, I, I never get distracted while walking 60, more than 60% veered off course. So the government is taking this, as they usually do, into their own hands. Right or wrong, that's for you to figure out. And they've come up with some ideas to help this, this problem of walking distracted with our phones. So if you live in New Jersey or you visit New Jersey and a police officer sees you texting while walking, you can get a ticket for up to $85. Yeah, isn't that great? Be careful. Like for me, I'm thinking, oh, that's awesome because I never do that. Yeah, right. In Hawaii, they're beginning the same process of putting actual violations in place where you cannot walk while being on your phone. Forget texting and driving. This is texting and walking. 
Now, over in England, London has taken this to a whole nother level. They're like, we're not going to fine you. We're not going to create laws about it. But they do recognize that it's a problem. So I kid you not, London has been experimenting with these, what they're calling safe texting streets. Here's a picture of one of their safe texting streets. Foam pads on all of the lampposts and signposts. Because people were running into them. They thought, we need to do something. And so this whole campaign, they have designated safe texting streets where they are all padded so that you can safely text while walking without the fear of running into something. Oh, man, we're at a whole new level now, aren't we? Oh, but never me, never us. We, we would never, be, it sound, that's ridiculous. We don't need those here. We are never that distracted, are we? <laughs> we're never as good multitaskers as we think we are. I'm going to give you some homework. This will be a fun assignment for you. I want you to write this down. Write down the monkey business illusion. I'm, do this right now. You're going to want to do this. I had our production team do it earlier. It's a video. You're going to YouTube that video, the monkey business illusion. And I'd love to hear back from you. If you follow me on, on Instagram or Facebook, Twitter, you know, tag me in that and let me know how you and your family did. But it's about a one and a half minute video. It's a great video. You and your family circle up, watch it together. But the monkey business illusion, Google it, YouTube it, let me know how it goes. The point is, we do get easily distracted. We are not as good at multitasking as we think we are. So these wise men, remember they came to do one thing, two words, one thing. It was to what? Worship him. That's it. So they show up and they created this massive mess that they didn't intend to create. When they left, the mess actually got worse. And there would have been a lot of room for them to get distracted, to take their eyes off Jesus, to move their focus away from Jesus, to give their attention from Jesus to this political unrest that they unintentionally created. A lot of room for distraction. Were they distracted? No. They said, where's Jesus? Where's this king of the Jews? Well, he's about five and a half miles away in Bethlehem. Okay. They don't stop. Listen, they don't stop until they find him. And when they found him, what did they do? They did exactly what they came out to do, worship him. It says, when they found him, the child was with his mother, and they bowed down and worshiped him. See, distractions are deceiving as well. They're dangerous and they're deceitful. Well, being distracted doesn't really hurt me unless you run into a telephone pole or a light post or something while walking with your phone. <laughs> But it's not going to, like, kill me necessarily. You're right. Mostly, being distracted spiritually will not kill you. But the goal of a distraction is not to end your life. The goal of a distraction is to keep you from where you're going. And if you're trying to get to Jesus, the distractions are doing their job if they're keeping you from Jesus. Don't allow the distractions to keep your attention from being where it needs to be. Keep your attention on Jesus. Just like the wise men, they, per, they relentlessly pursued Jesus until they found him. The next thing that we see them do is they just kept doing the next right thing. They didn't have this big plan. It says that they came from the far east. So they didn't make their plan. And, well, we're going to travel this many days and then we're going to find Jesus. They didn't have all that. All they said was, there's the star. So what are we going to do today? We're going to keep going that way. They wake up the next day. Well, now what do we do? There's the star. Well, what are we going to do? Let's keep going that way. They kept going, they kept going. Each day was the next right thing. They get to Jerusalem. Well, now what do we do? I don't know. Let's ask people where this Jesus is at. Let's ask him where this king of the Jews is at. Well, that didn't really work. We created quite a mess. Now what do we do? I don't know. The king said to go to Bethlehem. Okay, let's go there. Next right thing. Well, we get to Bethlehem. Oh, look, the star stopped. Now what do we do? Let's go to that house. The next right thing. 
They get to the house and they meet Jesus and his mother Mary and they say, well, now what do we do? The next right thing. We'll bow down, we'll worship him, we'll give him gifts. Well, now what do we do? We, we, we accomplished what we came to do. We met Jesus, we worshiped the new king. Herod wants us to go tell him, should we do that? I guess so. Oh, wait, I had a dream. The next right thing, we'll go home a different way. Their entire journey was not planned out. So that expectation, the burden that you've been putting on yourself to have your whole life planned out, you can let go of that now. So what do you do? The next right thing. What do you do tomorrow? The next right thing. And if you're willing to keep doing the next right thing, it puts you in a much better place with Jesus. Here's why that's difficult for us. It's because we immediately ask the question, well, how can I fix it? Right? We're fix-it people. And especially in the holidays, okay, well, I've got a whole family coming together, and this person doesn't talk to that person because of what that person said 25 years ago. My job, fix it. <laughs> right? We, we like to fix things. We like to fix people. And I'm not saying that's always wrong. I'm saying that should not be our first question. Nowhere in here, and I'm not saying the wise men's story. I'm saying in the Bible, we don't see a command, thou shall fix it. We don't see instructions on how to fix it or how to fix them or how to fix whatever the situation is. We don't see that. So why is it that any time that we're faced with problems and messes, we're like, well, I just have to fix it. What are we told? What instructions are we given? Oh, here's how you love people. Here's how you have humility. Here's what it looks like to put others first. Here's what a selfless life looks like. Here's what it means to serve and care for others. Here's what it means to meet the needs of the people around you. Here's a whole chapter on the definition and description of loving others. This one command I give you, Jesus says, is to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. So we get a lot about loving and caring. We get nothing on fixing. So instead of asking the question when you're faced with a mess, instead of asking, well, how do I fix it? What if we said, what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing in caring for these people? Well, that's not going to necessarily fix it. You're right. It's not your job to fix it. Well, somebody needed to hear that. <laughs> it's not your job to fix it, and it's not your job to fix them. It is your job to love them and care for them and walk alongside them and to do the next right thing. And it may lead to fixing it. It may not lead to fixing it. That's not your job, and it's not up to you. Do the next right thing. Not how do I fix it, but... What's the next right thing? That's why we do things like the wall of needs. I think it makes a big difference, and it's not just because of needs being met for people in our community, but if you participated, you know something happens when you line your heart up with God's, doesn't it? When your attention is on the right thing, when you're doing the next right thing, something happens in you. So we meet other people's needs, yes, to help, but something happens in us as well as through us in those moments. So where's our attention at? Are we distracted or is our attention continuing to be focused on Jesus? And are we just trying to fix things around us? Are we trying to just fix the mess of Christmas? And, and oh, to get a picture-perfect Christmas, to have the ooh and the ah lights on my house, I've got a lot of fixing to do. Or do we just say, what's the next right thing? Because that's how you untangle things, right? You can't look at this and just say, oh, I'm going to fix it. Fixing it would be just buying new ones. <laughs> that's not always an option. So what do we do? Well, we do the next right thing. We start in one spot, and we try to untangle one area a little bit at a time. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's never going to go back the way that it's supposed to. It's not going to be perfect. But if we can go one next thing, one right next thing at a time, we start to see things begin to work out. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. 
But I'm saying stop thinking of how do I fix it and start thinking what's my next right thing? Loving, caring, ministering. When my kids get hurt and they show up to me, which they're all under the age of six, so they get hurt all the time for no apparent reason. And they show up and like, what happened? And they're like, what, what bumped my head? I'm like, on what? They're like, the ceiling. And I'm like, what? And as a dad, I want to fix it, right? I'm like, okay, that's it. We're going to pad the ceilings, pad the corners. Nobody move, right? Well, you want to fix it, but you can't. So what do you do as a, as a parent? You scoop your kid up, don't you? Where does it hurt? Here. Can I kiss it? Yeah. Did that help? No. <laughs> My job as a dad is not to fix them. My job is to love them and care for them and hold them when they are hurting. That's it. May we not try to fix everything and fix all the messes, but let's do the next right thing, which usually is loving and caring and meeting other people's needs. So this Christmas, how do we get it to be per picture perfect? You won't. So let go of that one right here, right now. <laughs> it's messy on both sides, beginning, during, and after. So how do we walk through that? With our eyes on Jesus with the attention on Jesus. And if you want this Christmas to be different, something has to change. Here's what I'm suggesting changes. Make this Christmas different by making a difference. Make this Christmas different by making a difference in somebody else's life. In the life of your spouse, how are you gonna make their life a little bit different? How do you make a difference in their life? The life of your kids, how can you make a difference in their lives? It's again, it's not fixing, is it? And it's not all the distractions. It's how do I love you where you're at? How do I care for you? And ultimately, I'm not going to allow anything to detour me or distract me from getting to Jesus, to leading my family to Jesus. So what's your next move? What's your next right move? What's the next difference that you're going to make in people's lives? Maybe you do need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe you do need to say, I forgive you. Maybe you just need to put your phone down for a second and stop being distracted. I don't know what your next right thing is, but may it not be that of a distraction. And may we, like the wise men, relentlessly pursue after Jesus and never stop until we find him, until we have that moment with Jesus. Because when we do, our lives change forever. Your life will change forever when we meet Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for, for you and, and the change that you bring with you. That when we meet you, when our hearts meet you, not just knowing of you, but when we truly know you and, and we develop a relationship with you, God, everything changes. The joy that you give us, the peace that you give us, the strength that you give us, the provision that you give us, the hope that you give us, the life that you give us, only comes by knowing you. So Jesus, especially in this season, but quite honestly for the rest of our lives, may our focus be solely on you, that we don't allow the distractions to pull us away from you, I pray that you get our full attention all the time and that we won't stop until we find you, that we will keep seeking, that we will keep searching, that we will keep ignoring whatever we need to so that we find you. And when we find you, help us to keep doing the next right thing, that we will continue to follow you all of our days and we will not do it perfectly. We know that you know that. Help us to stumble in the right direction towards you. Help us to have people in our life that guide us and support us and encourage us through our messy journey. May we own that story and own that journey. God, as, as people here are reevaluating where they are currently at, I pray that we all here realign our focus to you. 
whatever we are going through, the brokenness, the hurt, the loss, the loneliness, the mess, in this moment here, may we meet you. And may you get all of our attention. And Jesus, change our lives. Doesn't mean everything gets fixed, but change my heart. I pray you'll change our hearts as well. In Jesus' name, amen.